1: no ordinary days in the working week of John Morton. The art of speeding is his profession, and challenges are a way of life. But this was the toughest one of all. Morton and the Dotson team were rookies in the Trans-American Challenge Series. This was a grueling 10-race, coast-to-coast dogfight. Manufacturer versus Manufacturer featuring the superstars of small sedan racing. Teams from Alfa Romeo, Fiat, Volvo, BMW, and Datsun fought for a title defended by Alfa Romeo. the series was a brutal exercise in preparation, logistics, and driving skill. For John Morton and Dotson, it was an attempt to make the transition from showroom to victory lane in a single season, Against All Odds. (laughs) Against All Odds is brought to you by the Small Car Experts. Over 900 Datsun dealers across the country who invite you to drive a Datsun, then decide.
0: Welcome! You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, hey, run your computers real quick. Google Tan Tantalk1340.com and we're streamed live all over the world in this fun little planet, this little ball we live on. Hey Lee, how you doing tonight? Really good, Robert. If I can get the right microphone, I'd be doing it better. <laughs> yeah, there's always a little technical something or yes. other. So anyway, yeah. So uh, hey, we got a great show for you tonight. We got a couple good songs, some different songs. We got a little uh, folksy music coming on a little bit later, and we got a really cool guest from Southern Cal. Well known, well I'll surprise you. He's a he's a celebrity driver again. You know me. I'm a big racing driver, racing car fan. So anyway, let's uh, fire up that turntable. Let's get that uh, Lee strum the music here for us. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: Dark said night, both the and it was best. And she turned around to look at me as I was walking away. I heard her say over my shoulder. In the great north woods working as a cook for a spell but i never did like it all that much and one day the axe just fell so i drifted down to new orleans or so i lucky with a b employed working for a while on a fishing boat right outside of delacroix but all the while i was alone the past was close behind i seen a lot of women but she never escaped my mind and i just grew This place and I stopped in for a beer I just kept looking at the side of her face And the spotlight so clear and Later on when the crowd thinned out I was just about to do the same She was standing there in back of my chair I said to me, don't I know your name? I murdered something underneath my breast She studied the lines on my face I must admit, felt a little uneasy When she down to tie the laces of my shoes trying love in blue She lit a burner on the stove and offered me a pipe I thought you'd never say hello She said you look like a silent type Then she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me Written by an Italian poet from the 13th century and every one of them words rang true and glow like burning cold. Far and off of every page like it was written in my soul. But me to you. Time love you blue. I lived with him on Montague Street. The basement down the stairs. That was music and at night and revolution in the air then he started into dealing with slaves and something inside of them died she had to sell everything she owned and froze up inside and when it finally the bottom fell out i became withdrawn the only thing i knew how to do was to keep on keeping on like a bird that flew to her somehow, all the people we used to know they're an illusion coming me now, some are mathematicians, some are carpenters' wives, don't know how it all got started, I don't know what they do with their lives, but me I'm still on the road ahead for another joint, we always confuse feel same. we just saw it from a different point.
0: This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners, like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727 501 9090 they truly have the best smoking barbecue in town oh and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce that's the rib shack barbecue in downtown largo 727 501 9090 i'm telling robert from nostalgic radio and cars sent you
1: hey
0: listeners this is robert from nostalgic radio and cars i'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of clearwater beach Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, guys, we are back. And, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Make sure you run your computers. Turn it on. Talk 1340com Okay, so quick quick updates. All right. Hey, it's Wednesday night, so that means it is open mic night at Naughty Nancy's. That's over here off Eldridge Street right behind the studio. That's a quarter mile north of Drew Street off Myrtle on the side street there right on the trail. That's Naughty Nancy's. Give her a call. 446 3717 446. 37.17. Okay, open mic night. And it's Wednesday night, so it's Test and Tune. It's Sunshine Drag Strip out there off Almerton Road. So a big shout-out to Hazley and Sherry and Mike and all the guys out there at the drag strip. And I hope they're turning some times and burning some tires. Okay, hey, another quick Char Show update. Uh, a friend of ours, by the name of Pete, has got this new little place down there. A new little, uh, I guess you call it a little ice cream shop. Uh... Uh, ice cream and sodas and like a soda shop type thing. Anyway, he's got a new car show that he's uh, been promoting here every Saturday night for the St. Pete crowd, okay? It's down there off 54th Avenue. or Actually, he has a 54th, 38th, excuse me, 38th Avenue. Just so it's not too far from uh, 38th and 49th, which is where uh, Burger is. We'll give them a little plug too, Burger guys. Anyway, this is on Saturday nights between 5 and 9. The address is 5507, somewhere around there, 5507, 38th, Street, 38th Avenue North. 38th Avenue? Yeah, something like that. I'll get it straight. Anyway, Sneaky Pete's Car Show every Saturday night, okay? And a big shout-out to my buddy Doug at the Sign Shop, okay? If you need some cool decals. Some really neat. He's doing these really neat vintage decals, you know, like the old uh, IH, IHRA, NHRA, our old presidential bumper stickers, you know, like uh, Dan Gurney for President, who's also been on a radio show, for example. And uh, who's that other guy? Remember Pat Paulson? Back in the day, Lee. Pat Paulson for yeah, president. Yeah, I was on. Yep. On, uh, he We're was on, uh, on the, What was that? The laugh in. Okay, but anyway, so uh, give my buddy Dougie a call down there at 727-278-9659. That's 278-9659 at the sign shop, okay? And, of course, if you need a... Uh, undercover car security car or something some type of uh some type of law enforcement vehicle give our friends over there at cop cars online a call 727-536-2677 that's 536-2677 say out of mike and our mark and uh, john for me okay let's roll that uh next little doohickey we got and that's about it then we're about ready for our special guest for the evening
3: Call and here I sit and on the telephone, hearing a voice I'd known a couple of light years ago, heading straight for a fall. As I
0: This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater. Bro's Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, manicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries, or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olty create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes what would you like on your pizza call bro's pizzeria 727-441-6025 that's 727-441-6025 and tell them robert from nostalgic radio and cars sent you Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount.
1: Window? Yeah, baby. Honey, I've been so worried. Where have you been?
2: Making money.
1: Doing what?
0: Moonshine.
1: All the liquor.
3: Me and Pee Wee. I made $65
1: tonight. Are you crazy? Honey, you're taking a chance of getting shot or being thrown in jail.
3: Pee-wee been doing it for four years and I ain't caught him. If he can do it for four years, I damn well can do it for 30. You
1: gonna let that fool lead you around by your nose? Wait a minute. No, you will.
3: I said, wait a minute, damn it. I tried every way I know how to make money legal. Now I can make more money in one night than I can in two weeks driving that damn cab. People want liquor,
0: and I'm gonna drop it for them. But you don't know what you're doing. What do you mean I don't know what I'm doing? If I don't know
4: nothing else in the world, I know how to drive. (laughs)
0: Okay, that was actually pretty funny. I like that. I forgot to bleep out that shh part, but uh, we'll have to edit that later. Anyway, since this is a family show, you know, we don't use any uh, bad language. But nonetheless, okay, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Let me tell you about this, just gentleman. Uh, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting a number of uh, times at uh, some various races around the country. And uh, he started his humble beginnings just kind of racing stock cars, actually. Old jalopies back in the Carolinas, although he's from Waukegan, Illinois, originally. Uh, his career really started when he got going, when he uh, stumbled in a couple guys out there in California, uh, most notably a gentleman by the name of Carroll Shelby. He actually walked in there, and I guess his first job was sweeping the floors. Anyway, next thing you know, he's out there sitting riding shotgun, actually co-driving with the infamous... and very well-known and very successful driver, Ken Miles, okay? And then from there, him, he teamed up with Pete Brock, also a former Shelby guy, and uh, they basically took Dotson and BRE, which is Brock, a- Brock Racing Enterprises, to both the SCCA Championships and the Small Board Trans Am titles uh, for 1970, 71, 72. Actually, tran- the SCCA races were 70, and I think Trans Am was 71, 72. But nonetheless, I'm delighted to welcome to my show, John Morton. John, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How did I do so far?
4: Did <laughs> you did okay. <laughs> you did okay so far. Yeah, I did sweep the floors. Uh, well, you but know. The, re- the, the reason ahead. I was out at Shelby's, I went to Shelby's, was to, to go to his driving school. Oh, okay. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, I did that. That was only a week. And uh, then I asked for a job, and he gave it to me. They gave
0: it to you. Okay. No, I yeah. just remember at one of the Shelby beats you said that. You said, Yeah, well when I first got my first job at Carol Shelby I was sweeping the floors, so I just thought that was kinda kinda cool, you know, to go from sweeping the floors to their top racing driver, you know. I mean that's amazing.
4: So yeah, anyway. Well, I was never I was never their top racing driver. I just uh, I did get to drive for them, uh a few times, but I, w- I was never uh, at that level. I was a beginner, and I wasn't the level of Ken Miles or Dave McDonald or Dan Gurney or any of those people.
0: Okay, well, I'm just trying to build you up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> later, actually, you did. I mean, when you got hooked up with Pete Brock and you got in with BRE, I mean, your driving uh, abilities were just, I mean, look, you won championships, and you uh, won titles, so that's that's that uh, says a lot about your driving ability.
4: Yeah, that was several years later. That was uh, started in 69 with Pete and uh, and it went through, ran ran through 1972, and we won lots of races and several championships in that period. Well, tell so, us a little bit that, how that, that was
0: good. how that how that all came about there with uh, Pete Brock. Now, after you left Shelby, or you were doing some some co-driving and some uh, auxiliary driving, I guess you could call it, and um, some of the with some of the Shelby products, some Shelby cars. And then after that, there was like an interim between that period, and then when you got into. Uh, got hooked up with uh, Pete Brock. So what did you do during that period?
4: Well, after after the Shelby period in 65, from 62 to 65, I worked there and drove uh, Cobras as well as my own car that uh, Shelby entered and races for me, my Lotus 23. Uh, then I, I continued to run that car uh and at, at some professional races and some amateur races and and I was pretty much broke uh, when Pete called me to, uh, to have me uh, work as a fabricator actually on the Dotson team, but he was uh, just forming in 1969 and uh, I said I'd come to work for him, but I, but I would only work under the condition that I would get a tryout as a driver on his team and, and then that worked out well for me and for both of us actually because because uh i did okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's in the history books (laughs) there's no disputing that but anyway okay so actually so you're you were pretty good wrench then too as well as a fabricator as well as a driver which is which is kind of interesting because most drivers that can work on the cars themselves have actually a better understanding when they're in the cockpit because they kind of know what actually is going on with the car itself as well as what's going on on the track would that be a fair statement
4: I think that was a fair statement. I don't think it's so much so anymore uh, because now that you know the big teams have engineers coming out their ears and uh, designers on staff, and the driver is pretty much uh, pretty much uh, left to uh, his own abilities without having to do any of the mechanical stuff. Um, it's good for a driver to be able to transmit information to the uh, you know to the to the engineer. But as far as mechanical ability, probably at the highest level, not that important anymore, at least in Formula One and, and you know, the the higher forms of racing.
0: Yeah, with the cars. Because
4: it's, there are so many people on the team, that, and, and there's so much instrumentation and so much testing that um, the priority uh, for the driver is just to drive the car in and. and uh, and I'll uh, oh, be able to communicate what the car is doing. But as far as his mechanical ability, not necessarily important anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you do a lot of vintage racing because there you still your your skills and our, us with the old school thinking. We still can kind of relate to that a little bit more. Of course, in the '60s, there was so much pioneering and so much development going on. I mean, it was kind of predominant. And like you said, today with uh, all the technology and all the computers and all the feedback that they get, the instrumentation they hook up, and boom, it gives you a readout and tells you what the car is doing. So, like you said, the driver just has to focus on one thing, and that's driving. Um,
4: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Would you say that, uh, and and I've had some other racers on the show, um, driving a car today, a brand-new car. Now, you've driven, um, to fast-forward a little bit, because we might jump around here a bit, but you've actually driven some cars all the way up through, what, the early 2000 period, right? So you were in some of those high-tech cars, correct?
4: Yeah, they were they were getting there. Uh when I stopped running professional races, I stopped because people stopped calling me, but I because I was so old. <laughs> but uh so I haven't driven a oh, let's say a modern Indy car. I've driven, I drove Indy cars uh in the 80s and up into the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh they weren't like they are now. Um they certainly aren't like the Formula 1 cars are now that are so technical that uh you know, I can't understand what they're doing. <laughs> but uh yeah, I, I drove cars fairly late. I mean I drove fairly relatively mo- modern cars. I drove the Nissan GTP cars and the Porsche nine sixty twos. Uh so yeah, I did. But uh it's escalated uh in the oh you know, since two thousand until now. In the last ten years it's escalated tremendously the electronics and the data acquisition and that sort of thing.
0: So the would it be fair to say that, I mean, because of the tools that they have today, that through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, there was like just gradual increase in technology and performance and so on. And today, it's just exponential. It's just by like leaps and bounds. Almost the same as it is with most computers and other technical equipment. So um, that would also be a fair statement, I would presume. As, uh... Uh, Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, it's today it's back in the say, in the 50s, if you want to start there, uh, there wasn't a lot of knowledge. You know, you look at those cars, and, uh, and they had little tires and, and uh, poor brakes, and everything got better gradually. Uh, they became, uh, you know, more and more modern. The big tires were a huge change, which happened in the mid-60s. When they went to the big, you know, the wider tires, and then when aerodynamics came into it, and they started to understand that, then it, it did, uh, you know, the information and the the knowledge just blossomed like, uh, you know, like exponentially, as you say. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you did, um, you've driven really a fairly good cross section of cars. You've done some Trans which is predominantly road racing. And uh, you've done some IndyCar. You've done some Formula 5000, too, right? Somewhere Which is also open-wheeled. Um, and then you've, uh, you've raced at Le Mans. You've raced at Daytona. You've raced at Sebring. You've raced at Le- uh, Elkhart Lake, obviously. Uh, all the tracks in California, which would be Sonoma, Sears Point, Laguna Seca, Riverside, when if it went back in the good old days, uh, Watkins Glen. So of all the tracks that you've raced... Um, Which ones come to mind? I mean, which ones bring back some of the best memories? And I'm sure there was different races going on at the time, but, like, uh, tell us some stories.
4: Well, <laughs> probably the, the most exciting, at least historically most exciting uh, race was uh, the Trans Am race at the end of uh, 1971 at uh, Laguna Seca. Uh, we had run a two-car team all year and uh one of the cars didn't do very well; it had a lot of failures and i I'd win a race, and the alphas would win I mean, it to be second, third, fourth, and fifth and uh then I'd not win a race, and they'd be first second third, and fourth and and pretty soon it got to the point where we had it uh, came down to the last race we had to win the last race, and they had to win the last race if we won the last race. Uh, we would be tied in points, which 60 points, I believe. If if we won, if Datsun won the last race, we we would have 60 points, and they would have 60 points, even if they didn't win. But we would get the championship because uh, the 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 car, the the manufacturer who won the most races uh, would would break the tie. And we had won. I'd won six. I would have won six races if I won that race. As it turns out, the Alpha team had cheated on the fuel tank, so they didn't make a pit stop, and they appeared to win the race. And I, I was second. Um, and and post race inspection, uh, they were found to have had a fuel tank that was several gallons illegal.
2: Oh, okay. And
4: they took they took the win away and and. Uh, so I won the race, and Nissan won the championship. Or Datsun. Datsun won the championship. Some of the, the Nissan people, there are people today that don't even know that D- Nissan used to be Datsun, but mm-hmm. it's the same company.
0: Well, I guess, yeah. evidently, what was it for marketing purposes? I think we had Pete Brock on here a couple months ago, and I think Pete was saying for marketing purposes, a Nissan, which has been around forever, we've used Datsun as a marketing uh, name for for the cars and for their forklifts. I guess they make forklifts and other industrial equipment. So that was like a U.S. thing or or whatever. Um, I don't I don't remember the whole story, but I think it was something like that.
4: Yeah, you know, I I never keep it totally straight, but it was an experiment because they didn't know that they would succeed in in California mm-hmm. or California in United States, not, not just California. Um, so they. I, Think they decided they didn't want to use the name Nissan. They wanted to do a, uh, not to associate, oh, uh, okay. you know, a, potent, a potential failure with <laughs> Nissan, and and uh, so they called them Datsuns. I don't know that they were called Datsuns in uh, in Japan ever. I'm really not that.
0: No, but not you I know what, now,
4: I now, should know all that, but I, I I'm not that familiar. I've heard all the stories and I, I'm not sure but they did change in eighty six. They changed from Datsun to Nissan.
0: Right. And I think you're right because Pete kinda of now, now it comes back to mind is it's about saving face and it's about disgrace. In other words, there there's no there's no, failure is not an option with the Japanese and their and their uh, philosophy and stuff. So I understand that. So that makes sense. Yeah. So they came up here and let's say like an assumed name, Datsun, and then when they found that and made it successful, then they figured, okay, we'll just change it back to Nissan because that's the parent company. But nonetheless, okay. So like when you were racing your Datsun, like who was Quek was probably your most uh, you could say your nemesis driver at the time. I mean the guy that you basically battled it out with quite a bit with the Alphas, correct?
4: Uh, that's he was the alpha team. He he was the uh, the chief driver, and he was also the, uh, in essence, the the team manager. Okay. And he ran a two car team, and, and at times a three car team when it looked like the championship was getting tight. Um, and actually, it was his car that had the big gas tank. Okay. <laughs> I assume he's the one that that uh, installed it, but that's. I'm- uh, Ancient history, no.
0: Okay. Well, somewhere I was reading, too, that there was two motors that were available. There was an experimental motor that, I guess, Pete was trying in in your backup car, and you didn't get that. You got the other one, but that motor ultimately failed. Is that what happened, or what's the story on that?
4: Well, in the 1972 season, we ran the 1,800cc engines and had to add a little weight to the cars. Okay. Uh, In the 71 season, we ran 1,600cc engines uh the cars ran a little bit lighter but uh the development engine was the 1800 it wasn't that experimental it was really just a a bigger a little bit bigger engine okay and uh in the beginning it did have some uh with Mike Downs in the, uh, driving it 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 did have some failures um, but it was it it showed its potential it had a little more potential than the 1600 so in 19 uh 72 we ran a three-car team, and they were all eighteen hundreds.
0: Okay, so and, the... uh, we,
4: we we dominated the series that year. Okay. And we had a, we had a third car that we would put uh, drivers into uh, that happened to be, in the if we were racing in a local area, a uh, star from that area. We had Bob Sharp in one of our cars for a couple races. We had Peter Gregg for several races. We Peter had Bobby Greg, right? Allison for a couple races. Sam Posey. Okay. Uh, Jim Fitzgerald and uh, you know, wow. and that was kind of fun for me because I got to race on the same team with these gu- these uh, these guys. I had an advantage. I, I I usually won, but I had the advantage of being very familiar with the cars. Bobby Allison, obviously, is uh, was so certainly capable of, of doing it. But he, you know, just to jump into a strange car, even for a guy at his level. He's at a disadvantage. Mm.
0: Of the two cars, fun. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And uh, now, how did that work? As far as the, the team team, I don't want to say rivalry, but in other words, so you were basically like the lead driver for Dotson for BRE at the time, and then, like you said, when you had some of these other drivers that were racing with you, and in the case of the third car, did. Was it basically the whole idea, collectively, let's win? Or did they kind of say, all right, well, you know, John's out front. Let John, you know, basically, you know, um, let him run the show, so to speak, and just try to get as many points as you can and stay as close to him as you can? Or did they say, um, just if you can outrun him, outrun him?
4: Yeah, no, Pete, I think that one of the fun things he had in in installing people like like Allison and Herschel McGriff and Sharp was, to challenge me, and I and I no, there was never there were never team orders ever. Okay, um, and it was the best man win. I mean that it, absolutely. I mean we weren't supposed to run into each other, absolutely. which we never yeah. did. But uh, yeah, no, there were there were no team orders whatsoever.
0: Tell me the differences, or tell the listeners. I'm curious too. Now you drove both the Datsun, the Datsun 240Z. You drove that in SCCA, and then you drove the Trans Am car the 510s and the Trans-M. How much difference is there between the SCCA and the Trans-M? It's basically you're using the same courses, right?
4: Yeah, the races were – well, you know, the the SCCA uh, National Championship Series mm-hmm. uh, is, was then and, and is still uh, – formatted in the sense that in a different way than the Trans Am. The Trans Am was a series that traveled around the country. right? And the the national championship uh, is determined with a single race. Uh, Back then it was Road Atlanta. Now it's uh, Elkhart Lake, and it's been at Mid-Ohio for several years. Uh, It was in uh, Topeka, Kansas for a while. But all the people come together, the the local champions, the the top several in each category uh, locally, Go to the, go to the, what they call the runoffs, mm-hmm. and uh, and have one half-hour race to determine the national championship. So there's a lot of pressure, and it's you can ruin your whole season in a, you know, with one race, one bad race. Gotcha. And uh, so that's that's a it's a difficult format, but that's that's the way the SCCA amateur racing works at the national level.
0: So what was and what is your what was your take? Your I mean you drove both the Z car and you drove both the the five ten of the two cars uh and they weren't really that much different, but uh what what was the, what were some of the differences in terms of driving the cars? I mean was there uh handling, obviously, maybe uh performance. Um the Z car had a little bit bigger engine than it had, it was it two and a half liter, right? Or three liter? Two and a half liter, right?
4: It's it was 2.4. Oh, two four, was okay. the original, the two forty Z. That's the displacement. Okay. That's what the 2-4. Some people called it a 24-ounce car. 24-ounce <laughs> 240Z. <240 laughs> <four zero> <laughs> okay. But it was, uh, in fact, some guy, one friend of mine said, I hear you're driving those 24-ounce cars. And I didn't realize what he meant for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, okay. they were considerably considerably more powerful. It was the same basic engine as the, uh, as the 510. Uh, it just had two more cylinders right. and we did the Z car before the 510 right with and then in 1971 we were, they ran concurrently we ran both championships trans am and the uh scca uh the 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 510 had about 200 horsepower maybe the maybe with the 1800 had a little over maybe 210 at the most uh, the Z car had about uh, 280 so it, so it was it was a faster car um it wasn't you know they were they were both really good handling cars the z car was more a little bit more restricted on what you could do because it was an amateur championship you know the scca rules have completely changed now you can build a tube frame race car and call it a z car but uh, the reality is back then they had to be not stock but there were there were very tight parameters on what you could do mhm Trans Am as well, but the Trans Am had a little bit more latitude than than the uh, than the production series. Then,
0: now were you allowed back then um, with uh, BRE like Horse Queck, for example? I think he drove some of the Trans Am Mustangs. So if he wasn't driving an Alpha, I think he he stepped up to some of the other classes. Were you allowed to do the same thing, or did you? Oh, aren't...
4: you're allowed to do anything. Uh, Queck, actually before the Alpha before the Alpha team. He was one of Shelby's uh, Trans Am drivers. Right. Mm-hmm. He was teamed with uh, Peter Ebsen. In 69, I, believe. I think. '68, 69, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and Horst ran Formula 5000, too, when we ran it. In 72, we ran some 5000 races, and he did as well. Um, uh, so he's, he's, he had a lot of experience, you know, broad, pretty broad career as well.
0: How about the Baja? Tell us a little bit about that. Did you get a chance to drive any of the Baja cars that uh, BRE built?
4: I drove. Uh, Peter never would let me go in the Baja races because he thought <laughs> I should. not I, I hate to say that he thought I was too valuable. I might get hurt and screw <laughs> up the other programs. But, okay. Um, I finally got to drive uh, with with Peter in 1972 in a in a car that was sponsored. In, you know, a Datsun that was sponsored by uh, Nabisco uh, Sugar Daddy the Sugar Daddy Suckers and also uh, Goodyear. And the downfall was two downfalls. One is I'd never been in the Baja. And another one was uh we ran these steel belted street radials is what Goodyear wanted us to run. It was a big operation. They had helicopters and all that stuff, but uh we didn't have a car that was really very suitable. And uh we finished but we broke suspension you know damaged suspension parts because of because of the tire mainly because of the tires mm-hmm. and the car wasn't wasn't really a very well equipped for the ruggedness of that race um, it, so you know it was fun i still have great memories of it but uh I need to do it again to, to improve <laughs> need to do it again. <laughs> performance.
0: Okay. And then in the mid 70s you started you uh, jumped over to IMSA and you raced in IMSA for a while so tell us a little bit about some of those races. And you tell us about well, how I, you, go ahead, I'm sorry.
4: Uh, well, I started with with IMSA with uh, the first IMSA races I ran were in a, a little series very similar to the to the uh, little Trans-Am with uh, and I drove BMWs actually. Oh. Uh, I teamed with Nick Craw, who's now one of the one of the higher level guys in the at the FIA, um, I drove with. We co drove uh, a 2002 BMW, and we we won quite a few races. We won two six hours at Mid Ohio, and we would have won the third one if we hadn't had a uh, a little problem. Nick had a little accident, but we would have won three in a row. And we as it as it turns out, we we won two, and uh, we won in Atlanta. We won in. Uh, Oh, I forget. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) But uh, we did pretty well. And then I I, um, started getting rides in uh, some of the GT cars, Uh uh, the Porsche RSRs, and then the Chevy Monzas. And then when it uh, became GTP, Mm -hmm. uh, I I drove for uh, Jim Busby. I drove for Phil Conti. Lola's and and marches wow. and then for buzz for B 962s and then for Tullius, uh, Jaguar xjr sevens uh, uh-huh. and then uh, for the Nissan team uh, with the GTP Nissan so I, I drove a lot of yeah a lot almost every every category there was in Msa so one now time or another
0: did, did you do a lot of uh, outside testing too by any chance I mean for any kind of uh you know, manufacturers like tires or car manufacturers or anything like that? Or, I mean, you know, a lot of drivers, they do, you know, uh, let's call it extracurricular activities, so to speak. Did you do any of that?
4: Yeah, I did. A, I did all of the tire during the period of 685 and 86, the two years I was with Goodrich. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we started in 84. We did Le Mans, I did Le Mans with them in 84. We won the C2 class in a uh, Mazda-powered Lola but um 85 and 86 were the 962s and they were trying to develop a race tire because they'd never really made a, a pure racing tire uh-huh. and I did all the testing I did thousands of miles of testings with testing with the 962s trying to develop a a decent tire and they finally they finally got a pretty good tire when they hired in one of the Goodyear engineers um, but that was sort of at the end of of my tenure with them. I got gotcha. you. When I and I went to uh I went to uh Jaguar and then Nissan. Okay. But yeah, I did. I've done a lot of testing. I've done testing for Goodyear. I've been testing for well, Goodrich, for Firestone, quite a bit for Firestone. And uh uh some of the uh, Yokohama, some of the other, you know, Yokohama, Bridgestone. I've done testing for all of them.
0: When they have drivers testing for tires, I've often wondered, let's say they put you in the car, and they might put, uh, you've raced with Hurley Haywood, for example, or you might race with, uh, they might have Dan Gurney in the car. Do the tire manufacturers, because of your driving habits and driving styles, does that give a different result on the uh the the ultimate, you know, the feedback of the tires, in other words, the condition of the tires is, um, um, in other words, let's say if I'm driving the car, you know, because of my style, then you're driving the car and another driver. Um, do the tire companies, you know, log all that down and then kind of use that for part of their uh, research and development and, you know, to try to improve the tires? Or is it just you happen to be the driver at the time and this guy happened to be the driver at the time and you happen to have just an arbitrary contract?
4: Um, well, it's... To answer your question, yeah, different drivers can give different feedback. Okay, even, even two really good drivers can give different feedback. Usually, if the feedback differs a lot, it's just because the driving style is different. But um, I think generally they'll, they'll use a, I mean, I don't know what they do right now. Mm-hmm. that they would do it now it's so instrumented i don't think they have to worry too much about what the driver that's true uh... you know about differences in the driver because they can see it in in on the data right uh... but there's still a some, some subjectivity to it Um uh, i've i've driven the same car with with a friend at a test and he had a completely different readout i was pretty sure mine was right <laughs> but. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it can be very different, but uh, you know the stuff I've done. For the most part, you're doing it. Uh, you're the one who's who's making those calls, gotcha. and then they, they'll have a series of tires, and they'll go back and forth, and, and you're supposed to. Uh, see, you know, they time every lap. You're supposed to drive as hard as you can the whole time, and uh, look at the stopwatch, and as well as the you know as the driver's uh, input. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of a black art, building you. the tires and testing them.
0: Okay. Uh, you also uh, got a little celebrity status here. You've been in a couple movies. Tell us about those. You were in Gumball Rally. You did a little, and I played a little clip there from uh, Grease Lightning, with, uh, uh, which was actually this, the, based on a true story about Wendell Holmes. You did some stunt driving in that movie, too, correct?
4: Yeah, Wendell Scott, not Wendell oh. Holmes. Oh, sorry, Wendell Scott, yeah, I'll be okay. <laughs> when Oliver Wendell Holmes is a <laughs> writer, yeah, different type a different kind of a guy. Right. Um, yeah, I did. And and the reason I did is I a friend of mine got me into it because we were training the actors for a Gumball Rally. Mm-hmm. Or he he was training them. He had a a deal to train the actors. He was actually a makeup man who raced and got the deal by, you know, by hook and by crook to to train the drivers and there was the director of that particular movie decided he wants his drivers, you know, his actors to drive fast he didn't want to double have to double them too much so he wanted them to learn to drive fast so we they hired me in addition to uh west dawn to uh to really take them out to racetracks and train them and after we did all of that uh and they started the production of the movie they retained us to do some of the doubling
0: okay and then gumball rally what happened in that movie i guess evidently you got like a a little bum deal on that one tell us about that real quick
4: well, no that was that's the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay, about. that's one. That's okay. The one that was uh, Michael Sarazin, Raul Julia, okay. um Gary Busey. Right. And a num- a number of others and then the same director was doing what they call second unit for the for um uh, uh Grease Lightning. Oh,
3: okay, that's Dale. the one. All right.
4: So he he was the second unit director for that and he hired me to to do some uh is teaching a little bit, but mostly just uh, stunt stuff, driving.
0: Okay, so you were basically, were you driving some of the older stuff, or some of the stock car stuff, or what they have you doing in uh, Grease Lightning?
4: Yeah, yeah, we had fake stock car races. We had we traveled around and found period cars, uh-huh. from, uh, you know, from the period that, that, that was supposed to depict the, uh, oh, the late 40s, uh-huh. early 50s. Um, we ran bootleg cars. I mean, we were, you know, we were cops. Chasing <laughs> with our 46 Fords chasing Wendell in a in a 40 Ford bootleg you know moonshine car and then we did fake races and some uh, some stunts other than uh, other than car stunts car
0: stunts know. okay we got a couple minutes left here I think but uh, now you do in your past time or your spare time now you do a little vintage racing and then uh, we were talking off the air you do you uh, you're into like motorcycles too you do little motorcycle stuff right.
4: Yeah, I have a collection of old motorbikes from the, actually, they're things I didn't get when I was a kid, because my dad had never let me have a Whizzer, or and none of your none of your uh, listeners probably even know what a Whizzer was. But oh, yeah. It was... Sure they do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. You do good. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting old. <laughs> um, Asian so state of mind. That, that, that sort of thing, and, and some British bikes, and a couple of BMWs, and then I, I also fly, so I... Oh, you really have a hobby as well.
0: Okay. So. so you got uh so some of the British bikes that you got kind like of mentioned earlier you had like what, you had some BSAs and you got Triumphs too?
4: Yeah, I have a I have a Triumph Cub, Tiger Cub, I have a Triumph Bonneville, and I have a uh a BSA Gold Star which was a 500 sing- single that uh was the the ultimate old uh, production hot rod bike back in the Back in the fifties and early sixties. Okay. So, how about dirt bikes? So, uh, I think yeah.
0: you, you got a couple dirt. Yeah, bikes. Yeah, I got
4: a, <laughs> lot a lot of dirt. Bikes. <laughs> I have a bunch of dirt bikes. I know I have four Honda dirt bikes and and a, um, a Suzuki and a and a Yamaha. Uh, I don't have a Kawasaki. Well, that's okay. <laughs> but I, I have most, you know, most of the most of the. Popular ones. The
0: popular stuff. Okay, well, hey, John, it's uh, they're giving my my little sing- song here, so we're just about out of time. But I do want to thank you for coming on the air, and uh, would you come on again sometime? We can do part two.
4: Sure, that'd be fun. I really enjoyed it, and okay. uh, thanks for asking me.
0: Sure, absolutely, and I'll, and I'll I'll go through my music file and I'll try to find some other cool songs for you because I know you like the. Yeah, I
4: like I like Gene, I like Gene Pitney. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you take care. Thanks for coming on the okay. show,
0: and uh, I'll be okay, in touch. Robert. And, uh, everybody, I want to thank you for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, hey, it's off the Nutty Nancys. And tune in next week. save time, drive carefully, and drive safe. And we'll see you next week. I'll see you. You won't see me. You'll hear me, unless you're looking on the computer. Lee, take care, buddy. Thanks. You did a great job.